Tournament Poker Edge Live. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge Live podcast. Two in one day. I'm very proud of that. But I'm leaving a day earlier than planned, so I have to uh, get it all out of the way while I can. Um, very happy to be joined. Finally, we've been trying to do this all summer long, and it's always easier said than done, but we're finally getting it done tonight. Happy to be joined by Mr. Carlos Welch, who I think you will all be familiar with if you're a listener to the TB podcast or a member of TBE. So welcome, Carlos. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Glad to be here. Cool, cool. So uh, let's see. Where should we start? I guess let's go back sort of to the beginning of the summer. I think everybody knows your story in general, so I don't think we need to go back too far. But let's just go back to the beginning of the summer, talk a little bit about what your plan was when you came out here, because I think your plan has shifted a bit as the summer went on, maybe a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, it definitely shifted at least twice. <laughs> um, I came out with the plan to play what I would call mid-stakes tournaments. Like last year, all my games were like... $300 and below. This year I was looking to play between like three to $800 buy-ins. And so I started off at Planet Hollywood, played two $400, um, 200K guarantees. The first two I played, uh, men cashed one. Um, I, you know, I ended up losing that one with Kings the Ace King. Um, had like 45k up top, so that was definitely one that made me, you know, had I won the hand, I would have been, um, you know, top 10 stacks. So yeah. that was a bummer, but at least I busted in the money as opposed to out of the money. <laughs> For, I bust um, 45th and they paid 45. Um, oh, wow. And then the next night, I had another deep run in the same event and ended up getting 17th, I think. And so that 17th basically, um, you know, put me up. Um, just like last year, I was basically free rolling the summer at that point. Um, but also in my package, I'll, I plan to play at least one WSOP event. So I played a 1K, and that took a big chunk out of my profits. <laughs> It's funny how that happens. Yeah, yeah, you know, so so my whole package was like 5K. And between the 45th and the 17th um, cash, I was up like 3K. So I, then I played the 1K, which I busted the first day of that. And then I had two more $400 tournaments at um, Planet Hollywood. Now, the day before, or maybe a couple days before, I was watching the WSOP final table streams and I saw the tournament where this kid played against Bryn Kenny and Greg Merson in like a 5K No Limit Holders event. And this kid won the bracelet and, uh, you know, beat. Like Bryn Kenny was basically considered a shoe-in to win that tournament. He was playing so well. But this kid beat him and a couple days later, I show up to my little $400 plan in Hollywood, and this kid is on my left. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, like, this, his name is Michael Wang, um, and a young Asian guy from um, New Jersey. 
And I'm thinking, like, you know, I don't want to be racist, man, but this Asian dude looks just like Michael Wayne, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and I was like, is that Michael Wayne, or am I just saying that because, you know, he looks like Michael Wayne? Right. And so I later, so I tweeted that, and then he basically responded, like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and so what happened is he busted me out of the tournament on one day, and I came back because they run this tournament on Fridays and Saturdays. So he busted me out Friday. He was on my left. I showed up again to play on Saturday. Again, he was on my left, and he busted me out on Saturday. <laughs> so I was like, this guy just won a 5K bracelet, but he's over here in my $400 tournaments, busting me every other day. <laughs> and so that and just the, the you know, playing the 1K WSOP event for the first time, kind of I was disillusioned with tournaments because all these years I've been wanting to play a WSOP event. And when I got into it, it was like, man, this is just another tournament. Right. You yeah. know, nothing special about it. So, at that point, I was sick of playing tournaments. Um, I, also, I did play the Monster Stack. Um, a friend put me in that at the last minute and uh, made day two of that, which was cool. But still, it was just another tournament. So, I was basically done with tournaments. Yeah. Um, I was like, live tournaments aren't doing it for me. I'd rather play online. So... I started back playing Sit and Goes, the single table satellites, which I love. I've always loved those. So my second plan of the summer was just to play um, the single table satellites. But then a lot of the guys that had that back my package, which because I, I decided not to, I was supposed to play the DraftKings uh, 50-50 and also the Aria 500. But because I was tired of playing tournaments, I ended the package in the black, so that package was profitable. <laughs> it was only a couple of, you know, probably Shillings. less less than a percent profit. I don't know. I think, you know, KV got like 80 cents out of it. Still got it. Yeah. <laughs> right here, somewhere, yeah. So, so my package was profitable, but I was tired of playing tournaments, so I grinded the sit and goes. And then guys were saying, you know what, you should play the main. And I was like, you know, I have no intentions of playing the main, but – People talk me into it, like, just see if you can sell a package. Sold a package and got into the main, and yesterday was day one. Yeah, so you basically went from coming out to play, you know, <laughs> bigger buy-ins than you normally played, right. to going back to what you really started doing when you came to Vegas in the first place, which was grinding sit-and-goes, Right. to basically playing the biggest poker tournament in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a roller coaster of um, plans out here, but... Um, I was thinking that, you know, the, the thing that really made me want to play the main, like after I played the WSOP events and I didn't get any kind of um, enjoyment or excitement out of those, I was basically done with tournaments. Like I would never play like a regular full schedule of tournaments again. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you know what? I haven't played the main yet. I can't give up on live tournaments. That's and, a good point. You know, I was like, I at least got to try the main. Maybe that's going to excite me. So... I was like, you know, what the hell, I'll see if I can sell for it, sold for it, and um, got in. So let's go back to the 1K for a minute, because okay. I'm, I'm kind of curious. You said that, you know, at some point you realized this is just another tournament, but how excited were you, like, to play your first World Series event? Like, were you excited even going into the event, or were you just kind of like, meh? I was, ex I was so excited going in. They did the um, shuffle up and deal. They were on the stage with all the bracelet area. That we did like the uh, was it a pleasure allegiance or uh, maybe the national anthem? Something. It was like you know all this fanfare. I was like, oh man, this is so great! Yeah. I'm at the World Series, 
And then they dealt that first card to me. They dealt that second card to me. Seven deuce as usual. <laughs> Folded it. You know, a couple hands later. The dealer missed deals or counts the pot wrong. <laughs> then somebody gets dealt a hand. Level one. Pull the shades down over the eyes. Cap the card. Put their hand on their chest like they're doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Wait 45 seconds. Uncap their cards and fold. I'm thinking like, man, this is just another horrible tournament. And so I was excited going into the event, but after half an orbit, I was over it. That's funny. Um, Yeah, I I could kind of relate to that. I mean, I don't don't get the same excitement as I used to Mm -hmm. going to play WSOP events. I still enjoy it, but it's it's just different. Like, it's not as appealing as I guess it once was. But I can say that I feel much differently about the main event. So you get to the main event, you sell the package, you decide you're going to play. So if you were excited going to the 1K, you had to be stoked going into the main event. Not like I expected to be. I felt, I never felt nervous. I expected to feel nervous. Yeah. And I I expected to be worried about, okay, are people going to know I'm new at this? And like... Uh, is there going to be a mark on my back? Do I have to play with Phil Ivy and all these other pros? And, you know, so I was all worried about that. Uh, well, I thought I would be worried about that, but I just didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, the night before, I slept like a baby. So, like, some of you may know that I was a school teacher uh, for five years. The night before school started, I have never slept. I always stayed up the entire night because I was so nervous, just could not <laughs> sleep. Slept like a baby. I dream. I actually dreamed about um, getting run over by a truck <laughs> today. Before it was so weird. Like a guy broke into the house using a big screen TV as a battery ram, <laughs> and he was somebody owed him twenty dollars or something. And like we were in the yard, and he was in a red pickup truck trying to run people over. That was my dream before the main event. I was not worried about the main event at all. I don't know what the hell that dream was about, but I was definitely not nervous about the main. There must be something about the night before the main event and weird dreams because I actually meant to tell <clears throat> the roommates and Diego about this dream that I had the night before the main event. I completely forgot until you mentioned uh-huh. this. But it was me and Big Dog and Diego, and I feel like there was one other person there, but I can't remember who. Probably Mark or somebody. And we were in a we were in like a a tree house, but it was like a really nice tree house. And it was like higher off the ground than you'd expect a tree house to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Casey was, like, ripping on Diego for playing a hand really poorly. Right. Like, basically, like we do on the TP podcast. Yeah, you should. Isn't that real life? It might have been. (laughs) But then it was kind of weird, because then, all of a sudden, like, Diego turned around and, like, jumped out. Like, he basically committed suicide, (laughs) because he was so tired of getting berated for his hand from Casey. And I remember, and he died. And I remember thinking to myself, who's going to do all the... Like the TV program and stuff. That was a thought when Diego, when Diego died. He was like, man, it's going to program. How the video is going to get out now? That's funny. Yeah, so there must be something about the night before the yeah. main that makes you have weird dreams because I definitely had one. Yeah. Um, okay, so you go into the main event. Uh, talk a little bit about like your table draw. I know you had Phil Locke. Yeah, table. Phil Locke was at my table, three, four seats to my right. And. Um, that was one thing right away that showed me that the main event would be different from the other WSOP. Well, I guess that's not true. He could have been at my at my um, table in a 1K. But 
at the 1K. In the 1K, I didn't have any pros at my table. Um, Barry Schumann's wife was there with her bracelet <laughs> on, but I didn't. It didn't feel like the same as yeah. Phil Lock. Yeah. So having Phil Lock at the table um, made it feel bigger, and I also enjoyed it more because you know, of course, he's cracking jokes left and right. But after a couple of hands, um, even that was not that big of a deal anymore. Um, what made it a big difference was the amount of time that you get. The yeah. two-hour levels are so awesome. And so the, the, the huge, like, 300 big blind stack and the two-hour levels made it feel more like a cash game to me. Mm, yeah. And so I felt completely comfortable. I knew for a fact that I was not going to risk my entire stack, so I never felt any um, threat of busting. And so, um, yeah, it, it was it, – it felt easy. Yeah, it, it felt like the easiest tournament ever because of the, the there's no pressure. Yeah, it's you're so deep that it's it's hard to bust day one. Although I found a way to do it. <laughs> um, like you have to run pretty bad, yeah. I think. Like, and I feel like I did. Like I lost every major pot I played for the most part, except for one flip. Right. Um, so yeah, it is. It, I mean, because you're so deep. I mean, unless you just get super hardcore cooler, like set over set or something like it's pretty hard to bust and you actually got set over set yeah. and still didn't bust yeah yeah so talk about that hand i'm sure some people might have seen it on twitter but it's probably worth talking about right so i go out on um dinner with um andrew brokus and a friend of mine and a friend of his and we rush back from dinner because you know we can see that the clock is we only got a certain amount of time so we're running. I'm like, you know, not running, fast walking through the parking lot, trying to get back to my seat on time. And I make it back to my seat with like a minute left to go. So I barely made it back to my seat. There's only like two guys at the table. And um, look down, I pick up Jacks from the cutoff. So I raise, got flats in the um, small blind. Also, as I'm running back to my seat, Phil Locke is running back to his seat. So he's in a big blind. So he just barely makes it. I raise the jacks, the guy flats, Phil re-raises from the big blind. And I'm thinking, oh, this is an obvious, obvious squeeze. And if this is a, you know, shorter structured tournament online, I'm four bet, four betting this all day. Yeah. But because it's the main event, and probably because it's Phil Lock, uh, I decided to take a lower variance route uh, line and just flat. So I flat, small blind folds, so Phil and I go to the flop. Flop is queen, jack, ten with two diamonds. So I flop middle set. And Phil C-bets. I just call the C-bet. Um, the turn is an offsuit deuce. Phil checks. I check. The river's a king, which is not a diamond, just an offsuit king. Phil checks. And I check it back. And Phil shows pocket kings. <laughs> and so, you know... Barely even made it back to the table. At this time, I had 27K, and I lost 5K in that pot. Um, so I felt good being set over set and not losing a, a ton of chips, you know, having only one bet go in post-flop. And also, I felt good that I felt like Phil checked to me on the river to try to, you know, induce me to, to bet, and I didn't mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah. So that kind of fired me up. And then... Um, 
Um, yeah. So 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 that was. I was gonna make another point, but that that was the big thing is that I didn't um, fall for for Phil's trap. Right. Yeah. And obviously, if that board's a little differently or a little is a little different, that hand could have played out completely. Yeah. You know? I definitely could have lost. Like when I saw. The jack on the flop, I was like, yes, I'm about to double up through field lock. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, there's a queen and a 10 there <laughs> also. <laughs> so that slowed me down. Um, that slowed me down. And it also slowed him down. Um, so, yeah, that board, the, the the way the flop came out, it kind of saved my tournament life. Yeah, and, I mean, like, I, honestly, I mean, he's got an overpair and open-ended. So, like, even if you play your hand fast and go, well, he's got so many draws, he's got – you know, he's got aces, he's got kings, he's got all these hands, two pair of hands. Like, it, you still could lose all your chips on that board. True. It's harder, a little harder to do than if it's like, you know, queen, jack, three or something. But it could have happened. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was fortunate for me to to not lose in that spot. Yeah. Um, is Phil, like, as crazy at the table as he is on TV, or does he do some of that for the TV cameras? Um, he's very talkative. He jokes a lot. Um, he's not physically crazy. Like, I've seen him on TV, like, roll around on the floor and stuff. Yeah. He wasn't doing that. He did run around a bit, though. Like, he had to, like, you know, he snap folds and then run over two tables to talk to somebody and then run back. He was doing stuff like that. He basically just um, watched Periscope the whole time between hands. Oh, really? So he's, like, really addicted to Periscope, and he was raving about it at the table. Uh, my friend Daro Kearney um, – and he does a lot of Periscope videos, and he says that, like, you know, last week he was in New York just lying on the sofa, and Phil Locke just watched him lie on the sofa <laughs> in New York for, you that's know, a couple of minutes. And I'm thinking, like, man, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I wonder what he was watching on Periscope while he was at Does he just flip through different... He just flips through. And, and like, in last night, Dara bagged in the main event, and he Periscoped that, and Phil... Went home after bagging in the yeah. main event. Phil went home and watched a periscope of somebody bagging in the main yeah. event. <laughs> I actually have thought about starting to do some periscope stuff for like for TPE or whatever, um, because I was actually watching a completely unrelated video of somebody talking about periscope. And I'm like, I'm sure there's some pretty cool stuff I can yeah. do on TPE on there. But I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But it sounds like it's something I need to do. Guaranteed, Phil Locke will watch it. He loves it. And actually, um, Dara and I were talking back and forth on Twitter about him watching Periscope. And um, Jennifer Tilly um, chimed in and talked about how much he loved it and, you know, favorited some of the the, the tweets. So, um, yeah, I don't know what he loves about it, but he really loves it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, So you go back to play day two tomorrow, correct? Yes. And I Um, assume you've already looked at your table draw. Yeah, so I bagged 24K. Um, my low point was 19K. My high point was 37. And I settled in at 24, bagged that. Looked at the table draw. Um, about half the table has pretty good results. But um, I don't know any of the names. And even some of the guys with good results there from years ago, live stuff. I don't think there's too many, like, online guys at my table. So I feel like... My day two table draw is definitely um, a good – I had good luck to get this table. Yeah. Uh, my first day table, my day one table also was not that bad. Um, 
have tight guys on my right, loose guys on my left. But because I am one of the tight guys, I w- I I did not take advantage of it um, like a better player would have. But at least I didn't, you know, lose my stack. So um, day one was fortunate, and I think my day two table is even better. Yeah. Um, and I should mention, we I talked about this a little bit with Ryan uh, on the earlier podcast today. Um, like, people know you start with 30K in the main event. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, I bagged 24, or in Ryan's case, he bagged like 15, people are like, oh, shit, that, that's kind of rough. Yeah. It's really not that rough. Um, not at all. You know, for people who aren't familiar with the blind structures, it is two-hour levels, and you're coming back to day two at 250-500. Right. So, so I'll have right at 48 bigs. And like I said earlier, day one felt more like a cash game, which I'm kind of new at. Um, so I kind of just wanted to limit the damages when I was playing super deep like that because I'm not used to it. Now I'm in my comfort zone. Yeah. I've been playing tournaments for a while now, TPE train. I know what to do with 50 bigs. And so Phil Locke, whoever else is at my table, um, I will be completely comfortable tomorrow. And also, I won't worry about busting. Day one was like, I was worried about having 300 bigs and finding some way to punt that off. Yeah. And so, you know, now that I've kind of, I won't fault myself for losing 50 bigs. You're supposed to, you know, get it in at some point when you start with 50 bigs as you get, you know, closer down to, 30, 40, 30, 20, eventually you got to get it in at some point. I just didn't want to, you know, get it all in pre-flight with kings against aces with 300 bigs. So. Yeah. No, it's totally understandable. I mean, I remember last year when I went to day two, I went to day two with like 8,500 chips or something. Mm-hmm. And even that felt fine to me. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm like, I've read Bovada tournaments with 1,500 <laughs> big lines a hundred times. I'm yeah. Ready to, I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah. And then I, I, you know, folded a couple orbits, found kings, got it in, doubled up, and then I was good to go. Yeah, it's awesome, like, not really having that pressure. Like, I felt, pre- you know what, this is something that I've mentioned about my poker bankroll. Um, I had the big score earlier this year, and so I have a, a pretty big bankroll now, and I'm super um, careful about not losing that bankroll. And so I make, you know, I play a little bit here, a little bit there. I don't put too much on any one tournament. Before this, my bankroll was maybe like 2000 3000 You know, I'll blow through that and, you know, I'll work for a month and then get some more money and play again. <laughs> yeah. So it's like when I had a small bankroll, I didn't mind losing it. But when I got a big bankroll, I'm super careful with it. And I felt the same way with the chip stack. With the big chip stack on day one, I want to be very careful. Day two... Short stack, I'm supposed to lose that at some point, yeah. or double. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I th- even, like, uh, there's many people I'm watching in, on day two now who have, like, you know, 42K or 38K. That's still plenty. Like, yeah. You don't even have to double up necessarily. All you have to do is chip up, like, 40K before the end of tomorrow, and you're good to go. Right. Um, I had a, a, a um, dinner with um, Andy Black a couple days ago. And, you know, he made the main event final table in 2005, I think. And just having, like, advice from somebody who's been there. And, like, one of the things that he stressed to me is that in the past day three, the average stack was 100 bigs. Uh, I'm sorry, 100K. So I'm thinking if it takes me three days to get there, I don't even have to have average because online I've played plenty of tournaments just fine with half the average stack. So I'm thinking in my mind, 
if I can get the 50 bigs by day three, I'm good. Yeah. So uh, I'm halfway there already. So yeah. I'm, I, f- I feel real comfortable about day two. Very, very cool. Well, I'm, I look forward to uh, to following. I'm actually flying back to North Carolina tomorrow, sad to say. Yeah. Um, but at least it'll give me something. I did check on my... I checked it on my flight. I got Wi-Fi on both legs, so I'll be, able, I'll be able to follow along on Twitter. Uh, so I think, like I said in the beginning, I think most people out there who are listening probably know Carlos. But if you don't, you can follow him on Twitter at Hip Hop One Hundred and One Trivia. Yes, Hip Hop One Hundred and One Trivia. And if you see me in person, say, "Hey, Carlos, haven't seen you in a while. Pretend like you already know me." If you, if you see me playing poker, don't come up to me and say, "Are you the Carlos?" <laughs> that phrase has. Ruined my image so many times this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were at uh, we were hanging out in the pavilion. I guess it's when you and I were both playing the deep stack. Yep. And uh, we were just sitting there talking about whatever random BS. And some guy walked by and he just like stopped and said, "I know that voice." <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like I don't even get that. But maybe your voice is more like familiar than mine. Like, and I think I think my voice has been in more places. That's probably true. Yeah, there's probably at least 10 to 15 poker outlets that people, like Mike Snyderman was like, man, everywhere I go, I see, like, you just pop up in places, like, I don't even know, like, Full Tilt Blog or, you know, know, just all over the place that people have either, you know, heard my voice, seen my face, or or read articles that I've written. So, and I met a lot of people this summer, which is great for me because in my mind, like, I'm definitely not a poker celebrity. But it's funny just seeing people who I consider poker celebrities, <laughs> and then I'm expecting people to have that reaction towards them, and they ended up having it towards me. I, I, I'm still confused. <laughs> like, I always think back to myself, like, dude, I eat beans from a can, and I sleep on sofas. Like, I am a nobody. But, hey, appreciate the love. Absolutely. So, yeah, follow along tomorrow. Um, best of luck to you, sir. And, and I have to say, too, it was great hanging out with you again this summer. Yeah. Uh, always look forward to this time where I get to see you and, uh, you know, Andrew and Dylan and all the guys that we get to hang out with here. It's, it really is a once-in-a-year opportunity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's always fun. It's like it's poker, it's poker summer camp. And, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. So uh, congratulations on making day two. Good luck, and uh, we hope to see you at the final table, sir. All right, man. Uh- Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I plan to do more of these once I get home. Um, they'll be via Skype, but I do hope that uh, hopefully we have some guys who go deep enough that it warrants more podcasts. Uh, so stay tuned for more episodes. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time on TPE Live. Better days, better days, better days. Hey, better days. Got me thinking about better days. Thinking back as an adolescent. Would have guessed that in my future years I'd be stressed. Some say the ghetto's sick and corrupted. Plus my PO won't let me hang with the brothers I grew up with. Trying to keep my head up and stay strong. All my homies slinging here, yo, all day long. But they wrong, so I'm solo and so broke. Saving up for some Jordans, cause they dope. I got a girl and I love her, but she broke too. And so am I. I can't take her to the place she wanna go to. So we argue and play fight all day and night, making passionate love to the daylight. Plus we about to get evicted, can't pay the rent, guess it's time to see who really is your friend. You tell me you're pregnant and I'm amazed, so many blessings while we stressing, looking for them better days. Always talking shit to
was true, me and you Only part of the separated to stay faded Affiliated with gangbangers and still made it Up in the gym, mess with me, gotta mess with him Still dressing like grown men when rolling Out in the dark, smoking Newports, gaming marks Got a place in my heart, homie stay smart Locked you up in the pen and gave you three to ten I send you letters with naked flicks of old friends Hoping you well, I know it's hell Doing time in the cells, you need mail When you in jail and me, I'm doing cool I settled down, had a family Working at night school Every once in a while I reminisce And I wonder how we ever came to this I miss the better days Always talking shit Took your advice and did the opposite Just being young and stupid Oh, I haven't been all that you could hope for But if you held on a little longer You'd have had more reasons to be Try to keep the faith and pray for better days. Always talking shit. 